0: So we're continuing on this morning in our little series and um, we're, we're nearly done with this and we'll be moving on um, once I get back from holiday into a, uh, a book study. We'll go through uh, Ephesians, it's looking like at the minute, um, expositarily. But we're looking at this kind of subject about the local church and how we love our church but we're drifting I love my church, but I'm stuck in a rut. I love my church, but I'm not a member. This morning I want to touch on the subject of giving. Now, I can, I can feel you closing your wallets, thinking about your bank accounts already. But giving in the life of a believer is supremely important. It's supremely important. And I think oftentimes we... Don't want to talk about it, or pastors don't want to mention it. Like um, you know, we have a secret magic money tree out the back. If you've been out the back in the corner, there's a money tree there. There ain't no money on it, um, but it's a reality, right? You know, things don't run. I think phrase we used to use is. I don't know if this is Northern Irish or, or you, you know what I'm saying when I say this, is things don't run on buttons and confidence. You know? Put your hands in your pockets. Oh, I've got a button. Or, yeah, I'm just confident it's going to work. There's a practical nature to the local church and what we do. And part of that deals with giving. I believe that giving as a concept is firmly rooted in ecclesiology. What's ecclesiology? It's the doctrine of the church. I don't think that we can be a local church if we're not a given church. And we can't be a given church unless we're made up of givers. That's church life. Now, we should be givers, but we should be grace givers. That's what we're going to look at this morning. Now, we use the word tithe. So, you, know, you just get into that concept and you say, I give my tithes. Now, the debate in scripture is about tithing. Is it for today? Is it an Old Testament principle? Is it a principle of the law? Some will say it's of the law, but it's carried over. Some will go back to Abraham and Jacob and say their tithes and whatever it may be. And, and really the tithe means a tenth. So we kind of have this figure, 10%, that's what we give. It's not a bad figure. Nothing wrong with giving 10%. But what are we called to as a New Testament church? That's what we're going to look at this morning. Because here's the thing. Here's the reality. You can let go of your wallets because I'm not after your wallets this morning. I'm not. I don't care about your wallets. I'm after your heart. I'm after your heart to be given into God's work. Now, when we talk about giving, we can go the full spectrum of physical uh, giving, time and talents. This morning, I won't talk about money. I want to talk about money. So, prosperity gospel here. No, we're joking. We're going to deal with it. What does it mean in the New Testament church to be a giver? What are we called to give? Why should we give? What is the heart of our giving? That's what we want to deal with this morning. Because if your heart isn't right in your giving, your giving isn't right. It isn't right. God doesn't need it and he doesn't want it. The heart has to be right and that's what we're going to do. And what we're going to do is we're going to have a look at this church in Corinth as a little example. Then we're going to make some applications to us. Uh, this morning, So we're going to get into the church at Corinth. And we're going to see how Paul, writing to them in 2 Corinthians chapter number 8, brings the example of the churches of Macedonia in their giving to provoke the church at Corinth to give as they should and give as they promised. They had promised to give in to the relief of, for the poor in Judea. They hadn't done it. Paul writes to them and, and he writes uh, a lot of corrective stuff to Corinth. And he's dealing with them, and he brings the example of the Macedonians before them. And he says, this is it. This is local church giving. This is what it is. This is what it means. So as we look at this, here's how we're to give. And as I say, how we're to give. And then we're going to get to the application and really bring it back as to why we should give. So how are we to give? Look at verse number 1. Put that up on the screen there, we're to give humbly. First one of two Corinthians eight says, "Moreover, brethren, we do uh, make known to you to wit of the church, or the sorry, the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia." So here, Paul is going to let them know about the the gift. That Macedonia, the churches in Macedonia have given. But first of all, what does he say? It's the grace of God that has enabled their giving. That's what he's saying. He puts God first in this. This is not man's effort. This is God's grace enabling man's actions. And this is the great humbler. That everything we have, ultimately, is from God. I'm going to ask you a question just off the back of that. How much of what you have is from God? Answer? Everything. Everything. From the air you breathe, the seat you sit on, the life you lead, it's all from God. All of it. All of it. We were just talking at the men's breakfast yesterday and uh, in the little devotion went to Psalm 73 because it was in my devotions in the morning as the psalmist talks about discontentment. How he's discontent, how the wicked prosper. How do these things keep uh, happening to the enemies of Israel and, and to the people that seem evil in the world? And, and we, we, I said that if we confess and we're honest, we've all thought that at times, have we not? And that leads to discontentment. And how we'll look at others and compare what they have to what we have and we become discontent. And the psalmist goes through this journey and it's okay to do that with God. God has big shoulders. He has broad shoulders. He can take that. There's no point pretending Sometimes we've got to go go to God and be raw and be honest and say, God, I don't understand. Why are the wicked prospering? Why are these things happening to others and and, and not happening to me? And the reverse of it, why are all these things happening to me and not to others, God? I'm discontent in this. And that's the psalmist in Psalm 73. And then he starts to go along the journey as all the psalmists do and all the people of God do, that God stays there. He doesn't move. God doesn't shirk it. God is where he always is. And the psalmist says, until I look to the sanctuary of heaven. And then I understood the destination of the wicked. We talked about that in Psalm 58 this morning. They're going to face the righteousness, wrath of God. And actually, in Christ, we have everything we need and more than we deserve. And when we look to heaven, that's the great leveler in our contentment. And then he gets to verse 25 of Psalm 73 and he says, Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. That's contentment. Understanding grace. And the churches at Macedonia understood grace, they lived out grace, and that grace enabled them to give in the right way. So the first and foremost, how are we to give? We're to give gracefully, humbly, out of the grace that we've been given, the abundance that we've been given. And we give to God, humbly. Secondly, we're to give generously. Look at verse 2. It says, how in a great trial of affliction and the, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality or their generosity. No generous giving. It's most generous when it's given in hard times. It's just the reality of it. Now we should give out of the overflow, absolutely. But when we give in the hard times, That's generous giving. Generous giving. Now we're not dealing with the amount. We're dealing with the generosity. What gauges the generosity? Where's the gauge of it? How do we gauge what a generous gift is? What would you say? If I was to give, Francie, the gift of this pen, it's a Milton Baptist Church pen. He's excited already. I was to give it to him. Would you say it was a generous gift? Why not? You've got 24. <laughs> no. I'm, I'm not Dot. We found out that Dot is a pen, a pen, a pen, not a pen, not sure. she has a lot of pens in her bag. Found out at the leadership meeting. But, what, how do you know if it's generous or not? If I have a thousand of these pens, and have not cost me, in, and I just give them, do you want a pen? You can have it, you can have it, honestly. It's not working, but it's okay. <laughs> but, so, it's not the amount, it's not the gift, but it's the motivation and the context behind it, right? That's the widow and her, her mates. You know, if, if I have a million pens and I give one away, no big deal. But if I only have one pen, one pen, with no likelihood of ever getting another pen, and I give it away, that's generosity, right? It's generosity. Remember, and I might have shared this before, uh, an evangelist in the northeast of England, Colin Pavitt, wrote on Facebook last year sometime. And I think unless you're really a, a preacher or somebody that really has so many notes in your Bible, you, you might not appreciate the generosity of this. But he said he was out and he was, he was witnessing and he, and he does a lot of that sort of stuff. And he was out in the street and he was, he was, he's been witnessing to this guy and really felt the Lord uh, working. You know, and you know when the Lord's working in your witnessing activity. You know. And he's witnessing to him and he's witnessing to him and he says to the, the man, do you, have, do you have a Bible? He says, no. So what he did was, he had got his Bible. Now, when I say his Bible, the Bible that he had had, for years and years, full of notes, full of memories. Like this Bible here is, is the first Bible I got as a born again believer. And I have glued it back together. It's full of notes and little things and whatever it may be. It's precious to me. And Colin says, I want you to have this. And he wrote in his Facebook, he said, I lost hundreds of preaching notes and things. He said, but that man's soul was more important. That's a generous giving. That's generous gift. Churches of Macedonia in great trial, verse two, of affliction, the abundance of their joy and deep poverty. Look at those things put together. Joy and deep poverty. Great trial. In the midst of the poverty and the trial, what is there? Great joy. Why? They're filled with the grace of God. They're humble givers that leads them to be generous givers. It's not the Value of the gift. But it's the circumstance and situation out of which the gift is given. That's what makes it generous. We're also called to give intelligently, I think, as New Testament believers. Because, well, let's let the scripture speak. Look at verse 3. For to their power, or... Within their ability, it says, first of all. Now, we're going to get to the next bit that says beyond their ability, but first of all, within their ability. What does that mean? It means that, yes, we're to give humbly, yes, we're to give generously as, as the body of Christ, but I also believe we're to give intelligently. So, what, what am I saying? I'm saying if you just commit to an amount with no intelligence behind it, that's not good stewardship. If you give to the Lord whenever you can't pay your electricity bill or your gas bill, that's not that intelligent giving. Now, God does not need our money. He desires our heart. But he would not desire us to go without something to give to him in a season where times are super difficult. Now, you may want to give, and the Lord may want to lead you to do that, but not to the detriment of your family and yourself. We, not, we don't give to earn grace. I want you to get that. Now, does this mean that at the end of the month or when the paycheck comes in, that I can just in my own heart say, do you know what? I've, I've got to pay all these bills. I've got nothing to give to God. No. You've got to examine. What are you doing with your money? What's your stewardship like? If you say I can't pay my gas bill because I've spent this, that and whatever it may be and fancy clothes or fancy cars or whatever it may be then that's not intelligent in any way shape or form what I'm talking about is there are seasons in our life there are moments where there's greater need there's greater need so we're not you know, doing this out of some tradition that we tick a box no 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 now again does this disclude given uh, out of our abundance Uh, and and sometimes above and beyond. No, because we're to give humbly, we're to give generously, give intelligently, absolutely, but also tied in with this, we're to give sacrificially. Because what does it say in there in in verse 3? It says they gave according to their ability for their power, and I bear record, Paul says, and bear witness to this, yes, and beyond their power, beyond their ability, they were willing to give of themselves. This is sacrificial giving. Grace given at times requires faith given. That at times requires, with an intelligent backdrop behind it, to go above and beyond and to say, you know what, I am going to do without this. Because the greater need at this moment is the body, the local church. That's sacrificial given. Personally, I believe, personally, I believe, and, I'm, I'm, and I intend to practice this more, I really do, I'm just... You know, when you preach, you're dealing with yourself. That my giving hasn't been as sacrificial as it should be. It hasn't been as faith-filled as it should be. What do I mean by that? When I went to Spalding, first ministry, and I came down and, and we had a discussion with their oversight. There was the existing pastor there. There was the treasurer there. He was also an accountant, never a good now, I mean, it's, it's good, but it's not. Because when you're an accountant, all you can see is numbers. Sorry, JJ. It goes with the job. You see the numbers, right? You see the numbers. And that's needed. So they sat me down and they said, you know, um, we, we want you to come, be our pastor, etc., etc., etc. And uh, we've worked out, you know, uh, what we can afford to pay. you. at this point, the accountant did his report of what came in and what they could afford and then they could sustain that on and on. So, 400 pounds. Okay, fair enough. Didn't bother me because it was coming there not for money, honestly. You know, if it wasn't, that just wasn't the motivation. I was serving the Lord, so I knew he would take care of it. But I said to them, I said, look, I'm not here for the money. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but here's what I would say to you as a church. Send to them. That whatever you work out you can give. Give a little bit more. Whatever that is. Even if it's just 10 pounds, 15 pounds a month. doesn't matter. Because if we just give out of what we have and can't afford. At what point are we putting a little bit of faith into it? At what point is it sacrificial? if it becomes another line on a spreadsheet, then at what point is our giving sacrificial? And sometimes our giving is called to be sacrificial, to trust the Lord and say, you know what, there's a a need, and this church has always responded so well to needs, like immediate needs, and, and people have gone without to give. That's beautiful, that's the way it should be. So yes, we give humbly, yes, we give generously, yes, we give intelligently, and yes, we're also called to give sacrificially at times, but weighing that up in the balance of things and being discerning, being wise. So humbly, generously, intelligently, sacrificially. Next one, willingly. Look at the end of verse three: for to their part, by record, yes, and beyond their part, they were willing of themselves. Here it is, New Testament given. Is willing given. It's not tick box given. It's not tick box given. Should all believers be givers? Absolutely. I'm going to touch on that. But not to tick a box. Not to tick a box. We're to give willingly. We're to give freely. It's not to be forced. We don't. We have a box at the back. Some of you may have visited that box before. Some of you may not. Hopefully after this morning's service, you will start to visit that box. But at the back, there's a box where we put the the money in. We don't pass a plate around because I'm not begging for God. There's nothing wrong with you if you want to do that. But when people go to that box, I know they go willingly. They go willingly. And that's what we're to be. It's a hard issue. We should want to give to God. Paul, if you look at verse 7 of chapter number 9, again, just talking about this type of giving. He says in verse 7 of chapter 9, 2 Corinthians, Every man, according as he purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. You cannot be a cheerful giver unless you're a willing giver. That's the reality of it. That's the reality of it. Now, my wife comes into my wallet. I like to keep cash in my wallet just for emergencies. Claire likes to take the emergency cash out of the wallet. And, you know, reality is probably her money anyway, but that's, that's besides the point. Do I give it? Does she take it? Yes. Is it willing? No. <laughs> Is it cheerful? No. We're not to be like that with God. We're not holding it bag. We're like, God, go take it, give it. I want to give it to you. Because you've given it to me. Humbly given, generously given, intelligently given, sacrificially given, willingly given, ultimately all wrapped up in biblical given. Biblical given. Look at verse 4 and 5 and this is where we're going to see what true biblical given is for us today. Chapter 8, verse 4. Praying with us with much entreaty or imploring us that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. I love that little terminology. The fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And look at verse 5. Here we go. This is biblical given, And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. What is biblical giving? Give yourself to the Lord first. That's the priority. This, the churches of Macedonia, they got the need of others but they also got the real need that they had to give themselves to God. That's the priority. God first, others second. Give ourselves to God and we will give to others. Love God with all we have. Love our neighbor as ourselves. That's what Jesus meant. So if we're to be givers, we've got to, we've got to give ourselves to the Lord. This is what Jesus is talking about. Turn to Matthew 22. Matthew 22. Of course we have the coronation yesterday. Matthew 22 verse 15. We had the coronation yesterday. And Charles is king, whether we like it, love it or not. And It is what it is. And uh, part of that transition is that the new coins are being minted, and his mug is going to be on it. Not not as pleasant as dear old Queenie, but his, his face is going to be on the coins. Here in Matthew 22, Jesus deals with this concept. The, they come along and they try and trip him up there, uh, Pharisees and the Herodians, trying to trap him as they were always doing, and Jesus masterfully deals with them, but he says, this is what happens, verse 15. Then went the Pharisees, took counsel how they may, entangle him in his talk. And trip him up. And they sent out unto him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Master, we know that they are true, and teach us the way of God and truth. I mean, what lies? What absolute lies? Not that he wasn't, but from their mouths. I mean, if that's not a picture of the coronation yesterday and some of the things that were said by people that do not believe it, I don't know what is. Anyway, moving on quickly before I get more trouble. <laughs> Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. Tell us therefore, and just uh, so loaded. What thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? So again, Jesus is, is, is answer, given this question. They're trying to trip him up. And he uses the coin. And there's an inscription in the coin to deal with it. And he says... But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why tempt me, you hypocrites? Show me the tribute money. And they brought him a penny. And he said unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? And they said unto him, Caesar's. Then he said unto them, Render unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they had heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. Now, question, is Jesus particularly dealing with money here? No. What's he dealing with? He's dealing with the heart. He's dealing with the heart. Absolutely, the heart. And he doesn't produce another coin in this object lesson. He says, "Whatever is God's give to God, and what is God's? All of creation, but more importantly, us, us, Magude." We're made in the image of God. Genesis 1.26 God said let us make man in our image. That's not just save people. That's everybody. Made in the image of God. What is, what is Jesus saying when he, he has this little tit for tat with these Pharisees? You are God's. You should be giving yourself to him. That's the call of humanity. To give ourselves on to God, we are image bearers. We are His. Then we come into fellowship and relationship with Him through the blood of Christ, no doubt. But the call is for everyone. And then we have the new birth. We have the righteousness of Christ upon us. We are to give to God because we are God. That's biblical giving: ourselves and everything that we have. To be used, I spoke at YL last night and I said this about their, their giftings. We're looking at Romans 12. And challenged them, are you using what you have? And this is what I want to challenge you with this morning, church. For God's good and for God's glory. The things that you have that are given to you by God, allowed to you from God, are you using them for his good and for his glory? Biblical giving. Means we use, we give. We don't just receive, we don't just take, we give. That's biblical giving. So, how are we to give? Humbly, generously, intelligently, sacrificially, willingly, ultimately biblically. We give ourselves to Him first. Then the heart is right, and then the hands are right. Heart right, hands right. Not hands right, heart right. Heart right. Hands, right. It's not the act; it's the attitude, heart level, biblical giving. So, what's the big application in all this, right? We want to look at all this. How we? That's the how. Why? 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 Why are we to be givers? Why are we to give into the work? Because we have been blessed. Because we have been blessed. We want to be a blessing because we've been blessed. That's the simple truth. Now, I, start, I said at the start of this, people want to talk about tithe, and they'll go back to Abraham and his interaction with Melchizedek. Okay, Genesis chapter 14. Let's go back there. I want to deal with something here. Genesis 14 and, and verse number 18. Because I, will, I do want to take a principle out of, out of this. And I don't want to take a principle of 10%. I want to take a different principle. An application and apply it in relation to what we're talking about here. So Genesis chapter number 14 and verse number 18. Excuse me. says this. And Melchizedek, the king of Salem or the king of peace, brought forth bread and wine. And he was the priest of the most high God. And he blessed him, that's Abraham, and said, blessed be Abraham of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which has delivered thine enemies into, the, into thy hand. And then Abraham, give him tithes of all, all the spoils. But what I want you to note in this is, what came first? The blessing from Melchizedek, or the tithe from Abraham. What came first? Blessing. The blessing. The blessing. You want a verse that speaks against prosperity gospel? This is it. This is it. Mechizeldeck, the high priest, blessed Abraham. As a result of the blessing, he responded and gave. He didn't give To get the blessing. He got the blessing and then he gave in response to that. That's a heart response to the high priest. He was blessed, therefore he wanted to be a blessing. Now, turn to Psalm 110 verse 4. Psalm 110 verse 4. Psalm 110 verse 4. 4. Says this: The Lord has sworn and will not repent. Psalm 110, verse number four: The Lord has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. This is a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to Hebrews chapter number two. Hebrews two. Hebrews chapter two, verse seventeen. Says, wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining of God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. In all things he might be merciful and faithful high priest. Who is this? Jesus. Look at Hebrews chapter six, verse twenty. Hebrews 6 verse 20. It says whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made a high priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. Hebrews chapter number four, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Melchizedek came and he blessed Abraham and Abraham responded and blessed back. Scripture tells us that Jesus is not a priest after the Aaronic order, the Levitical order. He's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. He is our high priest. So here's my connection. Here's my connection. Have we been blessed by our high priest? Have we been blessed by our high priest? Amen, amen, and amen. We have been blessed, so we should be a blessing. We have been given to, so we should give. That's the principle you want to take from Genesis 14. That's the principle you want to bring into the New Testament, that our high priest has blessed us. We have done nothing for that. Abraham just came and he received the blessing. We come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he blesses us. Not because of anything we've done. Not because of what we can buy. Not because of what we can work to. His free grace and mercy and compassion. Has blessed us beyond measure. Now tell me why we shouldn't be a blessing back. Give me one argument against it. Why we should not give to God. When he has given us everything. Be a blessing because you've been blessed. Second point of application. Leave a legacy because you have a future. Leave a legacy because you have a future. What will we leave behind? Because if you're here this morning, you're a believer, you're born again, you're saved, the good news is this place is not your home, that one day we're going to be with the Lord. But what are we going to leave behind? What's your legacy? So many Christians are not legacy leavers. They're not interested in what comes behind them. They're not willing to sacrifice now so that those that come behind have something. I can can point, and I'm not going to name names, but I know even leaders within my own church circles of pastors that are not interested in what comes behind. They are cruising, ready to head to heaven. And they're leaving a mess behind because they're not willing to sacrifice. They're not willing to put the effort in. They're not willing to uh, get out of their comfort zone. They're not willing to forgo some stuff, whatever it may be. But we should leave a legacy. We have a future. That's tied into God's giving. John 3.16 our future is tied into God's giving. What are we going to give back for those that are coming behind? Let me let me let me let me give you this. You know, and, and really really put it down. What investment are you making in God's work today that will leave a legacy when you're gone? Let me point you to this. Hands up if you remember this. Oh yes. Hands up if you've never been in that building. Right. A few people have never been in that building. That's the old church building, just across the road, full of the mod cons, (laughs) like running water, the fellowship hall was up the stairs, you had to come in the door and go up little narrow stairs, the toilets were down here in, in, in Antarctica, the men's toilets especially, there was a point in the life of the congregation at Milton Baptist Church where there was a step of faith made and people started giving into this concept well look at that hey there he is remember that Eric no? that's you (laughs) 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 that's not you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> that's, this, that's this land yeah. well people started to think about legacy started to think about giving started thinking about intelligent giving but sacrificial giving you know, at the time we didn't have the money people left the church if you remember because no this is madness you can't do this we don't have the money for this that led to that Led to this. It's led to this. Now, there are people that give into that that are not with us today. But their legacy is here. Their legacy is here. We sit in this building because of the sacrifice of some of the people that have gone before us. So, my question to you is are you willing to leave a legacy? You have a future. But what about those that are coming behind? Why do I say all this? Here's the truth. Our giving as a church is not what it should be. I don't see the giving in terms of who gives what. But it's not where it should be. There's stuff that I think as a church we could do. We don't need to build a building. We've got a building. We shuffle around and make the best of it. If we could go back, we'd probably make a bigger one. But there you go. We work with what we have. But there's so many things that we can do. I think this church to flourish needs some more staff members. It does. We can't do that without giving. That's not to make my life easier. It's not. Although it might. <laughs> it's not. It's to expand our ministry. To make sure that we take the growth that we have and we grow well. There's a community out there that really we have not impacted as a church. We haven't. We, we want to, we need to. Part of that's more of us giving our time. But if we give in to the work of God as we should, there's things that we can do to reach the community, to reach the young people. How good would it be to have even a part-time youth worker in this church? Because what do we sit here, you know? We sit here and say, oh my goodness, we're losing the young ones. 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 We're losing them. We're losing them. We know that. Yeah. What are we going to do? Yeah. What are we going to do? I mean, I'm a man of flesh and blood. There's so many, so many plates I can spin. And really my job is to build you up in the faith from the word of God. That, that's my primary calling. I do a lot of other stuff. What I love to devote so much time in the youth? Yes, can't do it. I'll neglect my calling. But we can do it. We can do it. We've done it before as a church. Here we are. We can do it again. How do we do it? We have to be willing to give. We have to be willing to give. I love my church, but I'm not a giver. If you really love your church and you love the one who is the head of the church, our great high priest, we will be givers, humbly, generously, intelligently, sacrificially, and ultimately biblically. Let's pray.